In this episode, I talk with Paul Gansel about a fun workflow that he calls pseudo TDD. Pseudo TDD is a way to keep your commit history clean and your tests passing with each commit. This workflow includes using PyTest XFail and some semi-advanced version control features. Thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. PyCharm helps me to understand and play with my code. The refactoring tools are amazing. A simple one is just to rename a method and it just gets renamed everywhere. There's a whole bunch of other cool refactoring tools as well. If I changed a bunch of code, I can visually see the diff of my code and the git repo code. And I can even visually walk through the local history to see all of my changes. I actually love refactoring and PyCharm helps me have fun while I'm doing it. Try PyCharm Pro for four months by going to testandcode.com slash PyCharm. Welcome to Testing Code. In the conversation I have with Paul, we jump right into discussing pseudo TDD. But I think the discussion might need a bit of context if you're not already familiar with test-driven development and PyTest. TDD has a lot of flavors, which we're not going to cover all right now. See episode 162 for that. Some strict forms of TDD include something like this. Write a failing test that demonstrates a lacking feature or defect. Write the source code to get the test to pass. Refactor if necessary and repeat. TDD doesn't really usually talk about source control. But conceptually, if you checked in your code between writing the test and the code, that wouldn't be good since that test commit would have a failing test. However, if you use xfail, you can do this. You could write the failing test, mark it as xfail, use strict, see episode 171 for more on this. Now the suite is, isn't failing, so you could commit between each step, and your test will be green with each commit, in theory. The benefit of separating these commits is commit size and review burden, but we'll talk about that more in the show. In reality, at least for me, the software development process is way more messy than this and not so smooth and linear. So now we're ready to, for Paul's workflow. It uses source control features like partial commits, fix up, and interactive rebasing to make nonlinear development workflow look like a super clean TDD workflow through the lens of the commit history. Uh, so Paul Gansel, you were on, you've been on the show a couple of times. The last time was, uh, episode 171. We were talking about Xfail. Um, and we're going to talk about a little Xfail again with the TDD workflow right now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I call it a pseudo TDD workflow because I am not nearly disciplined enough to do actual <laughs> TDD. Uh, I can, I can jump right into it if you want to, you know, well, let's just, we will, but, um, so yeah, what have you done? Have you tried the rigorous TDD before? Uh, I mean, not in any sort of formal way. Like I, I feel like occasionally I, I'll, I'll give it a try. Uh, but you know, what, what really always happens is, uh, even if I'm trying to do TDD, you know, the problem is that 
you start to you write you write a test right and then you you it's a failing test and then you you write the minimum amount of code that it takes to fix that test and then you know you iterate on that maybe three or four times and then you realize that something's wrong with your approach you know you've got uh you're like oh i, I didn't account for this edge case and then you have to rip out a whole bunch of stuff and and re rebuild it but then you have a bunch of tests that already exist for the old cases some of them you have to remove but some of them still apply right you know i, I still want this There's to still valid test cases right so yeah so now you have more tests than you have passing code for so you have to write more code than you have tests uh and then you know sometimes you're going through and you're trying to debug one thing and you end up writing you know large sections of of the code just to like get the debugging done and now you've got like more uh features than you have tests for and or you know or you you find that you've forgotten like five test cases you're like oh i tested this but i didn't test uh you know what happens if i pass it a zero or a negative number or a nan or some other thing like that so you know I, i i don't i think in practice even if you're trying to do full tdd uh it just doesn't seem like possible to me to actually always 100% be, you know, living that, that TDD life unless you're, you just like literally just, you know, commit every couple minutes and then just roll back that, you know, if you have to rip something out, you like roll back and then rewrite everything from scratch that, which seems counterproductive. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your pseudo TDD workflow then. Yeah. So what, uh, you know, what I've hit on that, I don't know that it brings me too much instrumental value, um, but uh, it at least has some aesthetic value to me, which is um, what you can do is if you find that you are writing a bunch of code, right? And you've got tests and uh, and code uh, all together, uh, you don't actually have to commit all of it, everything in your, in your workspace, whether you're using Mercurial or Git or some other, uh, um, some other, version control system, usually there's a, some functionality for either rewriting your history or making partial commits. So yeah. what I've been tending to do is maybe I'll write some tests and some code. And what I'll do is first I'll check in the tests and then I'll check in the code, right? So I'll have, I can, I can roll back my version control to when only the tests were in place and see that they were failing in the same way that you would see that something is failing. Um, if you were doing TDD and then I can go forward one step and run the tests again and see that they're not failing. And now you've got that whole, you know, I'm, I'm testing and I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm testing as I go along and I get the benefit of, you know, I know that my tests fail because I have tests that I've run and I've seen them fail without the code that fixes them. Um, you know, the, the, one of the problems with this though, is that, if you if you are committing a bunch of broken tests directly into your repository, something like Git bisect or or you know just going through your history and running the tests to see when something has started failing or anything like that, uh, it's, it's going to be real messy because you you know every other commit the tests are broken uh, when yeah. ideally your CI would would pass on every single commit. Um, so this is where XFail comes in. What you can do is if you have, say, a test that works along with the code that uh, that makes it work, you can add an XFail decorator to it uh, to make sure that um, uh, you can add an XFail decorator and then commit the XFail decorator and the test and then remove the XFail decorator 
and commit the code that fixes it. So this is your sort of pseudo TDD. So that now the passing condition, if you, if as in my previous article you're using, I suggested you're using um, uh, uh, strict mode where uh, an X pass is considered a failure. Now what happens is you're checking in tests that are broken, but you're saying that they're definitely broken and that it should be a failure of the test suite if they're not broken. And now the passing condition for your uh, tests is exactly what you want it to be, right? Because if the test is broken on the commit where you were saying, oh, here's a broken test that needs to be fixed, uh, then the test suite passes. And then in the next stage, you remove the X fail and you remove uh, and you add the code. So uh, now your test suite should be passing again. And so now if you wanted to go through and make sure that your CI passes on every single commit, uh, it should work and you still have the benefits of TDD without actually doing TDD or you have those two benefits. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the, the idea around, I mean, I, you're not actually doing the, whatever the strict TDD that people talk about, but I mean, the, the spirit of TDD is that you're thinking about testing while you're thinking about coding and you're still doing that. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely true. Like you may, it may be that you have written the code without adding tests for it, but you're not committing the code without adding tests for it. And so you'll, before the code ever gets committed, you will realize, you know, cause that, that's one of the, one of the other benefits they pitch for TDD, right? Which is that they say, oh, well, you're going to write a bunch of untestable code. And then if you just hand it off to someone else to, to test it, or you try and test it later, uh, you're going to find like, oh, you've shipped it. And a bunch of people rely on this, you know, this thing, but you actually wanted to expose features X, Y, and Z to make it more testable, or you wanted to refactor it to make it more testable, what, whatever it is, you know, you're, yeah. you're writing untestable code if you're not writing tests as you write the code. Um, and in this case, you're still you still have to be in that situation, right? Where you you can't commit your code until you've written tests, right? Because you have to commit the tests first. You have to rewrite the history so that before anything gets merged in, you have tests there that are in place that were failing and are no longer failing at the end. So yeah, I mean, I think you get a lot of the same benefits. Yeah, and you get the benefit that every commit has a green test suite. Um, so like you said, you can use bisect still to find, uh, you can add a new test and do bisect or something and try to find things, failures. Yeah, I mean, the only issue um, with this, uh, well, the, the big issue that I would say with this idea that every commit should be green um, is that, you know, with GitHub and GitLab and a lot of systems, what ends up happening is that, you know, there's there's just not a, a great, um, mechanism for running your CI on every single commit. A lot of people don't want that uh, because it would just be too time consuming. And, you know, if you're an open source uh, library, your contributors are not necessarily going to want to learn how to do sort of advanced Git stuff like rewrite their history. So, you know, if, if they send me a PR that's got six commits in it and it's real nicely factored and everything, and then I say, oh, in commit three, the test suite doesn't pass or like, <laughs> you, know, you need to make sure you run black on every one of these commits, uh, you know, they, they may find that they're, they're handling all kinds of like um, merge conflicts and things like that. And it just, the, the, the way that you review these things in, in big chunks um, and, you know, people 
would have to rewrite their history makes it difficult to automatically enforce this. And if you're not automatically enforce it, enforcing it, someone's commits are going to break your test suite, right? They're going to have something weird that breaks the CI. Um, so I think this is one of the reasons, actually, that people use squash merges. Um, because I was, That's what I was going to say. Like, as this on the side branch or the development branch, it they can there can be a whole bunch of broken stuff, but and and I encourage that. I I don't want people uh, like leaving their especially maybe not in an open source environment, but in a um in a closed source environment. Um, I commit every day whether it's broken or not. It's uh, because I don't want the code just sitting on my computer. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I I have really found that I I like my uh commits and my my code history to sort of tell a story and it that story is not here's the meandering path that i took to get here because who really cares about that you know like you you don't care that i that i made a bunch of off by one errors or anything like that what what really matters is like okay each commit makes an atomic unit of change and then later if someone's say bisecting right they'll come they'll be able to look at all these like hundreds of commits and then they'll decide oh here's some uh, invariant that uh, says, all right, uh, that that is failing right now, but should that was passing in the past, and I want to know what what broke it, right? And if you run like git bisect with a script, it will just automatically do this bisect for you, and it'll bring you down to one commit, and that's the commit that broke it, right? And you kind of don't want that commit to be some random arbitrary collection of of broken stuff, and you also don't want that commit to be some huge mega commit with like a thousand different changes and they're all unrelated, but they just happen to be, you know, you know, sort of correlated. In your pseudo TDD model where you're, you're checking in a broken or an X failed test and then checking in the test without the X fail with the passing code. um, I assume you're not squashing those. You're, you're keeping all of those when you, you merge that. Yeah, I for my own personal, uh, because I'm sort of fastidious about my Git history, I sort of trust myself to rewrite history and uh, break up my commits into small pieces. And um, you know, usually I'll try and run the tests on every commit. But even even then, it's not it's not usually worth it enough for me to set up the CI to run on every commit just for myself. Uh, But yeah, I won't I won't be squashing. But I also I'm just sort of trying to make it so that CI would pass on every branch, uh, on, yeah. on every commit, not like enforcing that. Um, right. So, but if you, yeah. if you merge a, somebody's code, code or a pull request, do you squash those? It really depends on, on, on the person and, and on what they did. Like for a long time, what I would do is I would just straight up refactor people's commits like uh, someone would send me some messy thing and then i would just uh go through and break up big commits and squash together just the ones that were intermediate commits and and create a history that i actually liked but that was just way time consuming um for you know like it it gets it gets to be the point where i can't be on my phone see something that's obviously obviously a good change and then merge it if i have to do all that stuff so, right. um, you know, the ideal situation would be you have some sort of CI that enforces whatever it is you care about, whether it's a clean commit, get commit history or, um, or just a, a final, like the final thing is fine. Um, and then 
you take a look, make sure that the PR looks good. And then, you know, you either squash merge or rebase merge or just regular merge commit uh, as appropriate. Uh, you know, I know in CPython, they force everyone to do squash merges because I think it was just taking up too much time to ask people to have a clean history. Um, and in other projects I've seen, they say, we really care about uh, clean histories. So we're going to ask you to refactor. You know, those ones don't seem, don't tend to accumulate quite as many uh, contributors. Um, but, you know, they do have nice clean histories. Um, so, you know, it, this kind of thing works better for small projects or projects where everyone's kind of on board. Um, it also, I think, will work better if you are using a, uh, a like a, a patch management tool that is actually where reviews are based on commits and commits are assumed to be atomic units of change. So internally at Google, we have um, we have a, a system that you know you you can we we can we have something that layers Mercurial on top of it, and if I have like five commits in my in my branch, and I push them for review, those commits get reviewed individually. So you know I'll refactor it so that all the changes I care about are in individual commits. Um, and then someone will review each one of those commits independently. It doesn't even have to be the same person. Um, oh, wow. I think there's Garrett, I think is maybe an open source version of that, or it, it definitely uses a similar principle. Um, and there are ways to like review patch sets as well. I think Jenkins, no, not Jenkins, uh, Fabricator has a, a similar thing where each commit can be reviewed individually. And then you have like a patch set so you can review everything. Um, so, you know, those things where the actual unit of review is the same as a commit uh, or is the same as the unit of like an atomic change, uh, those can be a much better fit for this kind of workflow. Um, though I haven't tried really uh, like the, 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 the way uh, internally at Google that uh, XFails work, you know, usually we don't use PyTest for various reasons that are, I'm sure legacy reasons. Um, and so, you know, if I'm not using XVail, the marker, you know, the the CPython expected failure uh, like method is just doesn't really have the same level of functionality and I'm not quite as familiar with it. So I don't tend to bother breaking up my commits into two pieces where I have tests first and then the other thing. Um, yeah. yeah. But for some of my personal projects, I, I will definitely do this um, this workflow. And, you know, if someone is interested in this workflow, uh, there are definitely ways to set it up. Even if you're on GitHub or GitLab, you know, you you could fairly easily set up sort of a merge bot. Well, I mean, I say fairly easily. I haven't done it, but you know, <laughs> it, it it's not terribly difficult. I imagine to set up a bot that does merges under certain conditions, and then you sort of say, all right, once everything is reviewed and signed off on, then fire off this check that checks every single commit, and if it fails you don't do the automatic merge and you wait for someone to, to handle it. Um, and if it doesn't fail, uh, you can merge it. And, you know, maybe someone can at the bot to say like, Hey, check all my commits before I go for review, in which case they do their history rewriting. I don't know. You know, this is the kind of thing yeah. where it, it, it looks, it, it, it's a, re, it's a, it's a very satisfying and aesthetically satisfying approach to developing your code. But I, I recognize that for a lot of people, <laughs> it's not going to be practical. So well, okay. So um, I'm going to tell you, I don't do this, um, but I do something similar 
in that I think, well, at least it's in the similar vein that I, um, um, I often am not, I'm the, the, the switch between, uh, source code and, and test code. Now, if you're writing, if it's pure Python stuff, this, this totally is not so much of a, a big mind shift. Uh, but if you're using PyTest, for instance, to test something else that's not written in Python, it is a, it's a, it's a bit of a jump to go back and forth between languages. Um, it's enough of a context switch that I am, I find myself, uh, frequently, uh, brainstorming test cases um, of things that I want to verify that that I want to make sure that work. So I write test code. I don't write one. I write several because I'm in that zone. I'm just writing some test code. Now, all this stuff hasn't been implemented yet. So Beck's failing those um, makes sense because I know they're not going to pass because they're they're not there uh, yet. Um, the the rev- I usually don't do the reverse. The reverse of... Uh, I I just uh, you know expect that I'll need something in the future because um I've got like the old uh, uh I've been bit too many times of like guessing what functionality is needed in the source code and uh just putting it in ahead of time um that's I don't really do that but I do think ahead and write test cases for things that aren't implemented yet I do that a lot um so in those cases um xfail uh fits really well with a little message of not implemented yet um so, uh, and then l- the case that you said as well, where I've got both working code and working tests, but I get down a design path where I realize I really have to pull out a whole bunch of code and start over. Um, the test code is great to help me along that route because I know all those test cases are still valid. I still want those things to work. Um, but, um, and, at, at some point, if I want to commit that stuff because it's still better than what I had before, I think it is a good idea to go through and exfail those te- the tests that are still failing and say, you know, yes, I'm, it's in the middle of a rewrite or something like that. Um, anyway, uh, it's not really your pseudo TDD, and it will be a really ugly commit history, um, but it is something I do that uh, take, to take advantage of uh, exfail and to not throw away all the tests the effort writing those tests in the first place yeah well i mean i will say i actually think that um the 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 part that's impractical here and and i think the part that is you know possibly novel is that i'm adding x failing tests specifically so that i can commit you know working uh working code and test the the combination of working code and test separately so that you have a, a separation between broken tests and working code, right? So like there, there was never a time when I had a broken test that I could have committed. Um, I, I just rewrote the history to make it look like that was what happened, right? Because that yeah. is closer to TDD. But, you know, what you're describing is I think just the, the vanilla use case for, for XFail, right? Which I am also strongly in favor of. And in fact, I'm much more in favor of that than I am of what I, what I wrote about in this pseudo TDD workflow, right? Because, you know, in, in your case, you have tests, right? And yeah, maybe the way you wrote the tests was in such a way that it's, you wrote more tests than you had uh, written code for. But I also was advocating that someone who shows up to your repository and has a bug should even just be committing uh, X failing tests, right? Regardless yeah. of whether there's going to be a fix on the horizon. Um, 
And so, you know, or well, regardless of whether there is, uh, you know, uh, a, a fix that has already been started, right? As long as someone says, you know, we 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 are uh, willing to implement this and we're planning to implement this, then yeah, go ahead, write the test. Uh, and I actually don't think that's a messy commit history either, right? It just means that the tests were written separate from the code, uh, and I don't yeah. know that they they need to be written together. Um, yeah, this so, is really more like when you write them together and you write them sort of out of order according to you can TV. reorder them. Yeah, you so just reorder to, them in your history. I wanted to ask about a couple of things that I hadn't seen before. Um, Git add dash p. Uh, what is that? So uh, with Git's his, with uh, with Git's model, right, you have this uh, this two stage commit. So usually, you know what everyone gets hit by at, at the beginning, right? Is they do like git commit and then it doesn't add anything to the commit history because they hadn't uh, staged any changes. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think Mercurial doesn't have that, uh, but Mercurial does have a, like a, an equivalent of this, which is like a uh, HG commit dash I, uh, which does a partial commits. Um, but with, uh, with git, you, you can, you can stage, I think most people are probably familiar with staging one file, but not another file. Uh, dash P is just doing partial staging. So you do git add dash P, and then it'll go through all the changes in little chunks, and it'll say, do you want to stage this? And then you say yes or no, and then it'll say, do you want to stage this? And you say yes or no. So you know what you can do is if you have like, you know, one file that has three totally separate changes in it, right? You, you added three different functions and you're like, oh, I forgot to commit anything. Uh, I want to commit these uh, three separate things that are you know, unrelated changes from each other uh, in three separate commits and make it look like I had good commit discipline. Yeah. Um, so you use git add dash P, you add the section that you want, and then you do a commit. And then you do git add dash P, and then you add the section you want, and you repeat that until you have three separate commits. Um, you know, you can also sort of make some changes and then do uh, like make fix up commits. So if you, you know, have just made a whole random collection of, say you fixed a bug in, in a commit that should have been three commits ago. And um, and then you also added a feature, right? Because you, you add the feature first and then the feature reveals a bug that is still in your development branch, right? So you actually want the bug fix to go back where you added the feature in a single commit. So what you'll yeah. do is you do git add dash P, you select the um, the feature branch, and then, or the, the thing that needs to go, that needs to go back into your history. And then you can use git commit dash dash fix up, and then the commit ID to add it to, and then it'll just commit a thing that's like, fix this up. And then before you push anything, you just do a rebase with, uh, uh, I think it's called auto squash and it'll take all the fix ups and reorder them and then squash them together with no changes in the commit message. <laughs> this is, this is some advanced Git uh, foo, man. Yeah. That's, you know, Mercurial cool. also has something called uh, HG absorb, which is this like very magical uh, thing where it will do that for you. So if you have some development branch and you make changes, you know, so you do some development branch, you have like three or four, different changes right and then you run your linter at the end or uh you know you and you, some other changes come up right and you just make a whole bunch of changes to the final version right you now have stuff that needs to be distributed across five or six different commits right if you do yeah. hg absorb it will detect automatically 
which changes are um are just like fixes to stuff that hasn't been pushed to main yet and it will automatically just add them to those commits instead of creating new commits um interesting and then there's a plugin for git called git absorb which does a very similar thing where you stage a bunch of you just stage everything and then you do git absorb and then it will find the main branch and uh figure out where to where uh to do uh where the commits have to go and then it'll commit each section as a fix up um interesting the only problem with that is that uh mercurial does a really good job of like batching these things together and just like squishing them right into the history whereas git absorb tends to make these like very small changes so you know say you had some function that's like you know 25 lines long and then you had to you know make you ran black at the end right and now you want to like squash all the black changes into the original commit um you know so now you've got like 20 different lines that changed uh git absorb tends to like make 20 different commits and have them all be a fix up to that original commit uh, whereas HG absorb will just like do the squash for you right away. Oh, okay. I've been m- more and more embracing black, um, uh, with a, with a couple of exceptions, but because they, the, uh, the, the line link, I'm glad that's an option at least. Um, because there's times where I want a different line link. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, all of these, uh, I, I I've never used some of these fancy Git things, but what I do use is PyCharm, and um, one of the things that it does when you commit stuff, when I when I go do a commit, I don't actually have to add anything because it well if it's already there, um, uh, PyCharm will just show me all of the stuff that changed, and then I can uncheck the files that I don't want to check in, and then for each individual file, it has like a uh, um, you can uncheck sections so I can just, you know, check in the section of the file I want. I think it does all of these fancy things behind the scenes um, that I don't have to care about. Um, but it, it is handy to be able to, uh, now this is a completely different topic, but um, what I find I'm doing sometimes is I'm, I'm working on some code and then somebody wants me to code review something and I'll forget to check in my stuff or whatever. And I go check out, or, you know, check out another branch. And now I've got my changes plus their changes, and uh, it's a mess. And when I, if I make, yeah, you just don't want to commit at that point because you've got a mess. But you can still move forward with with tools like this. But anyway, cool. Um, now any uh, so these cl- these uh, clean using pseudo TDD workflow to have a clean history. Um, it's a really kind of a cool thing, especially for somebody that's really wants to. It does, like you said, it does tell a story. So you can go look through the commits and go, okay, I cha- added this test, then I fixed it, then I added this other test, and I fixed it. Even if that's not really the workflow you went through, um, it tells a good. It's a. It, it would be a really great way to review code. Uh, I I think it'd be cool. Um, but the uh, any reaction to this from anybody else that's uh, run into the, you doing this? Uh, not that I've seen. I mean the the. I a lot of times when my code gets reviewed, it's either internally at Google where, like I mentioned, I don't tend to use this kind of workflow anyway because uh the, the facility for using XFail is not super easy. Um yeah. uh, uh or it's um on some GitHub or GitLab type 
thing, in which case people tend to review the whole pull request and not look at the individual commits. So, uh, you know, because the diff from main to the head of your of your development branch is not going to show any of this, people don't even notice. Like they they wouldn't even see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. So I haven't seen any reaction, and I, you know I don't know I don't have a comment section on my blog. Uh, I'm I think that's probably for the best, but uh, you know <laughs> I I don't know how many people uh, have really saw this and took it to heart. Uh, I don't know. I, I really hope that someone is not going to use it to berate some uh, their team members in, into saying like, "Oh, Paul says we should do this, so we should definitely have uh, curate all of our Git histories." Like this is, you know, I don't know. This is a uh, this is some some persnickety stuff here. Uh, I'm not. I, I I don't know that this would be the right choice for a team that's not made up of entirely persnickety people. Right. It is. So one of the things, something similar to this, is a good idea for like huge commits. Though those are reviews that I hate to do. There's like 20 files changed, and each file has like you know 100 lines difference or something. These are hard reviews to do. It's too much. So breaking it up, even if you have to rewrite history a little bit to break it up to, uh, um, uh, to to say, well, let's do the review in like five chunks. Uh, first, I attacked this part of the system, and then the other. Um, I think that sort of stuff might help uh, get through a review because I, I personally don't believe these huge commits. Um, it's really hard to really, it's really hard to do those reviews. Um, I think. So. Definitely. I mean, I definitely recommend very small PRs if you can, especially when you have changes that end up being orthogonal. So, you know, you have change one and it uh, and change two doesn't build on change one, uh, but you build change two on change one anyway, just because it happens to be in your history. Like, don't do that. You yeah. just rebase them both against main and then and then submit two separate PRs. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there there is actually you know some sometimes what happens is you have some feature and then you build another feature on top of that feature before the first one gets reviewed and then you build a third feature on top of that feature before the first two get reviewed and uh you know the UI in, in GitHub at least is not super great for this so you know what you'll do is you can you can break it up into three or four PRs you, you can even have you know I've I've had. I've had PRs where I have 50 commits in them, right? But people still end up reviewing just the change from main to tip. Um, yeah. So what what ends up happening is, you know, you can maybe make three PRs, but you have to say, okay, review them in this order. And then PR two and PR three, while PR one is getting reviewed, they are showing up all the changes from PR one, um, you know, and then you have to keep rebasing yeah. them. It's not great. I, I think... Some of these other review systems, like maybe Garrett and 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 I think Fabricator, do because their atomic unit of review is the commit. Um, it makes it a lot easier for you to do something like, all right, I'm going to break up this huge 500 line change, thousand line change, 2,000 line change into a bunch of small atomic commits. Each one of them adding one unit of functionality with one test or you know, some small yeah. set of tests for it, um, and then allow people to review them individually and also as a whole, because it's saying, "All right, the here's the next patch in the series, uh, yeah. and you know, I'm going to want reviews on each of them, and I'll go back and and make changes to the uh, to the old commits, um, and then once once the whole chain has been reviewed or the whole 
set has been reviewed, then we submit the whole thing all at once. Right? Because sometimes also these intermediate commits, they leave you in a better state than you were in before, but the feature isn't complete. So you may not, you know, you, you may be adding just a bunch of private methods and no part of the public API. So do you really want to, yeah. is that something you would want to release? Probably not, but it is probably something you wouldn't mind merging, right? If you said, okay, we can merge this, you built out the private part of the API, someone else's will build the public part of the API, like you could merge it. So, you know, at that point, that's a boundary that I would say, okay, we should have a commit that is mergeable, but because, you know, branches are cheap, we can maintain this this feature branch until the feature is done, as long as the feature branch is kind of still short-lived, you know, so you can keep adding patches to that set and then merge it into the the main repository um only when the feature is completely done i yeah. I, I work on libraries though right so these these sorts of features uh tend to be you know five ten commits you know not one of these situations where someone's got to build a ui they have a front-end team and then they have a back-end team and like they're, they're doing huge refactorings and and you know the, the release cycle is on the order of two years or something you know that I you know I can't really give any advice about about that kind of workflow. Yeah, gosh, does those, do those things exist anymore? I wonder. Um. Anyway, uh, the this is so this brings a couple couple things up that I want to highlight. One, the pseudo TDD workflow that you described and rewriting history and stuff is enabled because of xfail in PyTest, or that's one of the reasons. Um, I would love to hear from other people of workflow other workflows that they. Um, they are able to do because xfail exists or because some other feature of PyTest exists. Um, that would be cool to hear. I'd also like to hear from people that have uh, have a cool way to help with large uh, large reviews. Um, if there's a workflow that helps with that or tools that help with that, please reach out to me. Just contact form. Um, and then, so we're going to have a link to the your article about pseudo TDD workflow. And then you also have another article um, about code coverage that we're not going to talk about today, but I'm going to read it and we're going to have you back on to talk about that. Sound like a plan? Sounds like it. It sounds like a great plan. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Paul, for taking the time today. Um, and I think this is, these are at least, even if people don't do it, I would recommend reading this and just think about, think about the use of XFail in the, in your life. Um, and, uh, and keeping your commit history clean. So I have a, I'm not as I'm not I'm not as I don't I'm not as disciplined as this, but I do like to keep my commit history clean. Even though in the projects I work on, we do squash things regularly because there's lots of mess in the middle. But anyway, thanks a lot, Paul, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, it's always uh, great to be on the show. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Paul. Lots to think about in here. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. Visit testandcode.com slash PyCharm for a four-month free trial of PyCharm Pro. Save time, use PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>